The following is a hoop ball presentation. Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out Hoopball, please, on Twitter, hoop-ball.com online, on Twitter at HoopballTweet. Sorry, y'all, I'm slipping. Uh, Definitely make sure to do that because, you know, fantasy basketball is right around the corner. It is the time to sign up for leagues. Um, I'm already trying to think of my really cool names, and then I'll decide strategy. But for the rest of y'all who want to do it the right way, Hoopball is where you want to go between top 150s, team preview guides, injury reports, all of that. It's all there. So one more time, hoop-ball.com on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. All right, for the ramble, we are still, in my mind, very much still in the offseason for at least another week and a half, I don't know, until it doesn't make sense to say offseason. And because of that, I am happy to go back in the time machine, do some historical talks here. Uh, and I have the perfect guest on for that. Uh, good friend of mine, member of Premium Hoops, co-host of the amazing podcast sense scalability uh does play scouting for thinking basketball in fact he was just on thinking basketball podcast last week definitely check that out uh went really deep in the top what i think 75 players nba history uh yeah yeah there we go i'm bringing him in this i, I asked you a question before i introduce you cody hodek check him on twitter at cody hodek c-o-d-y-h-o-u-d-e-k cody how you doing man <laughs> man I am doing just fine. We were just talking about how both of our jobs, there's kind of these perceptions about what we do all day. And in fact, it's not at all like what most people think. And we both were like exhausted, but now we came together and we're feeding off energy. And yes, I think sir. I think I can feel it. I can feel this is going to be a good pod. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I'm feeling the exact same way right now. I'm, I'm juiced. And, and, you know, in, in the right, right. Um, but what I'm excited about is the fact that we, we, we reached out. We, we were talking about doing, um, and for the listeners out there, we're going to do yet another um NBA draft redraft, but the last couple we've done have been almost like just going back and forming our top 10 man rotations out of a draft. So we did um, the 2014 draft and then the 2017 draft already. Um, We're going to do just the basic bare bones look back because we're going way back looking almost 20 years now, exactly 20 years, actually, to the 2001 NBA draft. And I'm pumped, Cody, because when, when we were talking about this, you we like, there's a lot of fun players. I was like, okay, cool. I was just happy to go back in time and try to refresh my memory and everything. But like, this draft was really, really interesting. I think what makes this draft particularly interesting, and I definitely hit this idea right away when I started researching some of these players, mm-hmm. is there's not like that super top tier guy that like you get them and all of a sudden like your your franchise has changed. You're, yes. you're competing for championships for years on end. In fact, most of them are like secondary, maybe tertiary pieces where you're like, I would love to have this player as a third best player or second best player on a team. And so that dynamic made this particularly interesting, though. You know, I think there's a, a pretty clear drop off after way through. I think there's pretty much in my mind, like 14 guys that I was pretty comfortable drafting in the lottery. And then after that, I'm like, I, I don't even know. It's just hilarious. I'm glad we we, we talked about it. And we said lottery because you're right. Like if we had done a full first round and some of these drafts it surprised me just how many of these drafts there end up being in hindsight because you look into every draft and maybe with the exception like 2013 um there has been another draft since that i just can't quite put my finger on it but like you can tell the rare exceptions when the drafts aren't overly hyped 
And I'm saying that you're going to get that fair amount of hype anyway, new prospects in the NBA, what they can bring to the table. That's just a given. But there's some drafts that are like described as generational and like, you know, you look at them like, oh my gosh, is it 1996 again? Is it 2003? Which also isn't actually all that deep. But like, you look at it and it's like, 2001 is a draft that, like you said, all these guys are looking, I'm like, yeah, like that is a solid piece. You know, like that is a, 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 just a decent player played a long time to, and had a long career some of these guys the longevity was was really amazing um but didn't quite get to that level or we're not quite that guy like you said so i'm kind of hyped to kind of look back on this and the way we talked about this was doing you know just a redraft uh i guess we can kind of go along as we describe like which player we're taking a possible fit for that team i guess it's just for a second just kind of where they would go based off of our own individual rankings and just basing off of each other's decisions but you're the guest, Cody, so I'm, I'm going to let you go first here. Uh, 2001, I mean, let, let's get started on this. This draft, um, definitely interesting. Wow, you're, you're, giving, you're giving me the first pick. You're... Uh, you know, I am. Okay. okay. I, I have a... <laughs> it's funny, we were talking about this. I did this, the first pick to, um, I think it was, we had uh, Bryce and Coupon for the 2017 redraft we did, or 2016. Nope. And I remember laughing because I said, okay, this is fine. I'm the host. I'm not going to go first. Plus, no pressure, right? Like, I'll just yeah, get what's course. handed to me. And then it was funny because then, by the time I went, the top pick, obvious pick, was gone. Yep. And the guys who were left, it took, like, a very serious basketball mind. But I'm, like, semi-serious. But I'm, like, ooh, Andrew Wiggins. He's too good to pass up. This is 2014. <laughs> I'm, like, the third pick. Come on, man. But, um, yeah, I'm giving it to Cody. I know it's a dangerous game I'm playing, but I'm willing to take the risk. All right, so I think they hit this pick right. So I'm just going to repeat and go Kwame Brown. I'm joking. I'm not going Kwame Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert, everyone. Kwame Brown is not on my lottery right now. I don't know about you, but he is not anywhere near my big board. Doesn't make the cut. I'm not trying to hate on him. I'm really not. But like when we're talking busts all time, like that's got to be right there. That's (laughs) right there. It is. And the sad thing is if he was being drafted just outside the lottery, I mean, a guy who played, what, 13 years? Yeah, you know, solid guy. I mean, yeah, bad hands, and there were some issues here and there. But like, just for a a role playing big, you know, that would have been a heck of a career. That's not what you want to look for at all from number one, though. No, definitely not. And I think a lot of it also hurt because he was. There are some stories of MJ kind of being a bit of a bully when he joined yeah. the Wizards there, and the, some of those stories really kind of suck. You never liked hearing uh, young players being treated. Like no. That. Wow, I really started off with a sour note. I'm sorry about oh. that. <laughs> so, so here's the difficulty I had with imagining this draft. So yeah. I was like, hmm. We kind of agreed that we're like, what if, what if we did this draft with modern rules? Like, how mm-hmm. would that change the way that we're drafting some of these players? Very so true. then the difficulty is I went back and I was looking at the rosters in 2001 during the draft, but then I would compare it to the rosters that these teams had in 2002 and i realized there were a bunch of trades and a lot of differences and i'm like you know what i'm mostly just going to base it off the 2002 rosters because you know no disrespect to you but i don't have that much time to like go yeah. through all of those multiverses no. to figure it out no so it's not even worth it <laughs> so, so you know Jawan Howard was on the team in, in 2001. I think he was out of there in 2002. They do have a space for a big man. And to me, I think the clear number one pick is I'm going with Pau Gasol here. Um, Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol is, I, I don't necessarily know how he was remembered, but I think he was a lot more mobile as a defensive big than people would remember. Mm-hmm. And with his passing chops, I could definitely see him taking a role. You know, I think he's pretty comparable to maybe a BAM level passer. There's a chance. I think that BAM maybe at his age is better than Pau was at his age. Uh, but Pau was definitely a pretty high level passer, really strong interior scorer. And with his mid-range game that we saw him stretching out to three later on in his career, I could see him coming into the league, you know, 
dipping his toes into the three-point land a little bit sooner than not. So I'm taking Pau Gasol in the number one pick spot here. That is, that's solid. I mean, that's a guy, like you said, his game translates so well to now. I mean, the fact that he even played some of his latter years more toward the precursor of this. By the way, as we're recording this, um, this is the, what, Thursday? Yeah. No, Thursday, the 30th of September. It's dropping tomorrow, so it's fine. But um, Paul Gasol announced his retirement. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. Wait, is he he's playing overseas or no? Uh, I think he's done now, done. Oh, he was. Done, done. Yeah, I think he's done, done. Oh, wow. I, I did think not he, see that. Yeah, I think he's done, done. Let me, now I got to make sure of that. But from what I what I was seeing, yeah, I don't I don't think Mark Gasol obviously is still going. But no. I'm pretty sure Paul Gasol is, is over. I mean, unless he's trying to hold out to come back. To, I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I'd rather hear it from his mouth himself, but like from everyone else I was seeing from like your league and everything that we were reporting it earlier. Yeah. I think that was it, which if so, I mean, the, for over like a 20 plus year career across, you know, international play, the NBA um, Olympics, like clear cut hall of famer. Oh yeah. Um, yeah but no, a uh, Euro hoop net. Yeah. He's expected to announce retirement from professional basketball. Wow, I did not know that. In in honor of him, I actually have a little bit of a personal anecdote with him. Okay, let's so get you know, it. I was I was I was a big man in high school, right? And my my coach is always trying to pound into my mind, like when you get the ball, you don't bring it down, because that's when the so I'll do my coach's impression impression. Hodak, when you get the ball, you don't bring that down, because that's where the little guys are. Keep it high, keep it high, like George Mikan, George Mikan. And I was like, you know, actually, the guy I think about when you have the ball keeping it high is Pau Gasol. Because if you go and watch a lot of those, he was really good. And it's a really weird micro skill. But when he would catch the ball, he would never bring it down. He was so wow. good, probably because he was like 7-1 with a pretty solid reach. But yeah. he would just keep it high immediately. So I referenced him. He's like, Pau Gasol? What, what are you talking about with Pau Gasol? Uh, so I always have that connection with Pau Gasol. And, you know, it's sad to see him retiring. But he had a phenomenal career. Second best player on a couple championship teams. And, you know, worldwide renowned basketball player so good for yeah. Gasol. he deserves it that definitely definitely and wow that that was a good i'm thinking about the coach just like just missing over 50 years of basketball to like remember <laughs> the glory days and just i mean all the post players he could have even that's hilarious yeah. i love it though okay so for me i figured that paul Gasol was gonna go first and so the clippers were up next um i this was tough. In reality, mm-hmm. I, think, I think they had Tyson Chandler. They trade to Chicago. Like you said, a bunch of trades happened. Um, but looking at the Clippers roster, I was going to take Joe Johnson. And like, yes, he is he the most like accomplished player on the list. No, um, of the of the guys. That, I mean, there's one of the guy I think ahead of him for sure, clear cut. But he is somebody who you know filled it up really well. Uh, historically, I think knocked down the most threes of anyone in the draft. I mean, anyone from this draft class. Um, he, he, he was solid offensively, but looking at the, what the Clippers needed, you already had a pretty good stable of wings there between Corey McGetty, Darius Miles, Lamar Odom. Can we pause for a second? Just think about how fun that Clippers team was. Like I didn't watch a lot of them. Um, I watched a little bit after reading um, the excellent book, the curse by Mick minus. And it was a, a really good book of the history of the Clippers. I, I highly recommend it, but it was talking about how like the amount of young talent on those young Clippers teams and the lack of belief to just let them cultivate, like, all of them are gone within two seasons, which yeah. I thought was kind of crazy, like the whole core of them. But going back to that, between Odom, between Miles, between Maggetti, you also have Quentin Richardson. Uh, I felt that a point guard was probably a good fit, and no disrespect to Keon Dooling um, but, <laughs> or, or Jeff McGinnis, but I'm going to end up going with the next logical pick, Tony Parker. Um, I think modern-wise, his 
outside shot was always weird. I mean, he he knocked down some threes. That, that clearly wasn't part of his game. He could definitely take them, though, I think. Um, but honestly, his speed, I think that would translate well here, too. His ability to get to the lane just relentlessly um, and finish around the basket. We know his floater game was just untouchable. And I think that if you're going on a team that isn't as, I guess, conservative as San Antonio was, you know, just like kind of giving the ball and let him go, especially in this day and age with these rules, um, I think you see someone as like, a 23 and nine player easy. Yeah. I really like that pick. Uh, Tony Parker. I think he was actually my third on my big board. So I'm going to end up with my second pick, which makes me very excited, but was, no. I actually, I had an <laughs> existential crisis with Tony Parker here. I, okay. I had him actually a couple spots lower and then I really thought about him a lot more. And I think Tony Parker's probably criminally underrated in how good he actually was. I think there's an aspect with how defensive minded the Spurs were for so long and how Duncan centric they were that Parker wasn't ever able to be like fully unleashed, which is fine because the, the Spurs obviously produced really, really good seasons. So when you look at maybe the box scores of guys like Manny Ginobili or Tony Parker, or even like older Duncan, they don't like pop off the page and you're like, wait, why Tony Parker, John Morant could do what he did, but like, no, John Morant couldn't do what Tony Parker did. Like yeah. Tony Parker was so fast for a period of time. in like that 2007, 2011 range, I think he had a chance of being maybe the fastest player in the wow. NBA. And if not fastest, maybe the quickest, like when mm-hmm. you talk about getting two feet in the paint, he was just so good at burning by everyone. And he could, you know, he got in there, he kicked it out. He created a lot of shots for people. He wasn't like a, you know, Steve Nash level passer, but a tremendous mm-hmm. passer anyway. But that ability to just get into the teeth of the defense and and do something with that and his finishing ability for his size. Oh, I love Tony Parker. I think yeah. he's a fantastic player. And I th- no, I agree. And, I mean, you broke it down excellent, but I also think he added some extra craft like as he got older because it wasn't like I think the last two years of his career that he like was clearly not the same player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte, I, I tend to forget. I think that was, you know, it happened. But, like, you know, yeah. maybe 2018, 2019, or 2017, 2018, you can see a little bit of a, of a definitely a few steps lost in terms of, like, consistently getting good. But, yeah, what a guy. And I, I think for what the Clippers are looking for, I thought of, I don't want to go too deep in, but, like, Zach Randolph. And mm-hmm. it was one other guy I considered, but I also thought of team chemistry, which, I mean, that doesn't really have a whole lot to factor in here. But when he gets selected, if I don't select him, I'll bring him up. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, I I agree with you. Tony Parker, you know, he's definitely a player that's game was predicated on athleticism. And it's not athleticism in the same way that you think of like Russell Westbrook, where Parker was like yamming on folks. Yeah. But just his quickness was, oh, yeah. Something to see. All right. So I got the third pick now, right? Yep. And this is the Hawks pick. Atlanta. Am I? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I'm hoping I'm not going to screw something up here. Oh, no, you got it. Yeah, ATL. So, yeah, in, in 2002, after the draft here, this was the Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Jason Terry type players. Okay. Uh, also, the first uh, Finnish-born NBA player, uh, Medela, was on this team. I thought that was a fun fact. Um, but this is a tough team to build for because Sharif definitely absorbed a lot of shots. And, uh, you know, while he was, like, mildly efficient, he wasn't great at creating for other players. He was a pretty good st- – I mean, he was a solid-looking stretch four, but his team's just never really produced – as well as you would like for that. So I was like, who's going to fit in with that? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to think about fit as much as I usually would. I'm going to take who I think the best player with the best peak is available. And I think it's the player you're talking about. And that's Gilbert Arenas. Yes, there he is. Darn it. <laughs> I overthought that. Gilbert Arenas, man. Yes. Please go into him a little bit, Cody, because, I mean, I know you have the breakdown on him, but that's exactly what I was thinking about for this team. And what a fit. I, I think for his peak, just wow. 
So in, in 2007, Gilbert Arenas, he had nine games with at least 40 points. He had three games with at least 50 points, and he had one 60-point game, and I think that was against the Lakers back in 2007. <laughs> yeah. Uh, between like 2006 and 2007, he had like three straight-up buzzer-beating, game-winning shots. And, you know, had you know, Kobe and LeBron and stuff were still in the league, but he was right up there for one of the most exciting players to watch just because I'm thinking about the game-winning shot he had against the Jazz where he pulls up on them with a couple seconds left. And before it goes in, he does the the anti-Nick Young where he has his hands in the air in celebration. And he's <laughs> yep. like, oh, my God. <laughs> I remember watching that as a high school. Like, that is the straight-up coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, so, yeah, just a, you know, average like 10 free throws a game, solid pull-up three-point shooter. Um, you know, unfortunately had some off-the-court issues that – and some other things that made his prime a little bit shorter. But man, when he was going, he was a fun player to watch. Oh man. Oh man. That, yeah, that's, that guy is one that I think, like you said, health really unfortunately messed him up. Um, You know, a little, you know, like you said, off the court issues. I feel like I really wanted to see him and I, I get there was a weird, I, I don't remember that it was a Gilbert Arenas rule. I think later about the second round picks, not being able to like exceed the cap to resign them up to a certain point. If I'm remembering correctly. Um, I yeah yeah um because that's why i think he wasn't after he was after golden state you know where they selected him if they you know he went down to um washington all that magic there but like i would have loved to have seen as much as i love baron davis Mm -hmm. and i do give me gilbert arenas give me jay rich give me that core dude i mean yeah it probably ended like the you know like the wizards were locker room by 2008 but like between 2005 and 2007 like that's some magic on the court of like basketball that was like so close to like it's time now yeah just in his own separate time capsule and you have don nelson too and just the oh man i just i think about the team also all right that's a that's a great point jason richardson i'll hold off on him because i think he's probably going to be coming up at some point in yes the draft. but between you know him and arenas you know, modern three-point shooting, both of them just, if they were now, they would both be firing off like 10 threes a game and near 40%. And Don Nelson just loved his offensive sets. So those could have produced some of the most fun offenses in history if if that core was allowed to develop. That is, yep, 100%. So now we have, so Powell's off the board one. We have Tony Parker. We have Gilbert Arenas. And now it is me with Chicago with number four. And Looking at the roster they ended up having in 2002, I mean, this was a team that was, I don't think they meant to be on the rebuild, but they were definitely rebuilding. They kind of had a mismatch of talent, but they were all over the place. Um, You had guys like Jalen Rose. You had vets like Charles Oakley, young guys like Brad Miller. uh, Travis Best was still around, Jamal Crawford, all these guys. I'm going to get a wing. We're going to try to start some stability. He knows his role. He's going to do a good job there. Uh, I'm taking Joe Johnson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joe Johnson, I think, yeah. You're getting a guy who's multiple time, multiple time All Star, mind you. A lot of that Eastern Conference, uh, especially like pretty rough stretch there, considering when you're you know selecting um, All Stars. But like if you look at him across the board, the guy was an amazing volume scorer. We saw it in Phoenix. We saw it most notably in Atlanta. Um, converted threes at a high rate. Like I was saying, he has hit um, the most threes of this draft class. I think it was like just under two thousand threes over his career. Um, so you have that as well. Um, third team all NBA. And again, the guy was able to make his own shots. He's still able to create his own baskets in the big three. Like, I mean, mind you, his defense was never like a strength. And as it, as his athleticism and like, um, physical capabilities on that end diminished, so did any hope of defense there. But like the dude was able to produce at a high level. You're getting young Joe Johnson, who was able to swing capably well between point guard and shooting guard. And actually do that a little bit with, uh, with the Phoenix Suns, uh, in that one year he was there between 2004, 2005. 
Yeah, I, I really like that pick. I'm going to go to the Bulls for a second because I have a fun little statistical fact. And okay. I know statistics don't always translate to the podcast. <laughs> but between 1999 and 2002, their relative offensive ratings. Now, this is their how good their offensive rating was relative to league average. Negative okay. 9.9, uh, negative 9.8. I think I might have screwed those up. Negative 5.8, negative 6.3, which historically, when we're talking about those first two, since 1990, those are the fourth and fifth worst offenses, worst relative offenses out of like 900 possible team seasons. So oh, no. post-Jordan, the Bulls were just an absolute train wreck of a franchise and I I like Joe Johnson going there he's the type of offensive player that you know he's not going to get you to league average from you know historically bad but he's going to be able to do some stuff out there he was never like a particularly efficient scorer like he was never that much higher than league average but I think that was because you know Iso Joe was his nickname he created a lot off the dribble speaking of off the dribble his crossover on Paul Pierce is Oh, nasty. He deconstructed him oh like fundamentally. <laughs> if if you have not seen this Joe Johnson crossover on Paul Pierce, go YouTube it right now. Yeah. It's it's tremendous. 2013. It just, Check it out. It is. 20, OK, 2013. Yeah. So, yeah, Joe Johnson, good creator. Like you said, he could kind of toggle down and play a little bit of, of point guard in spots. Um, but yeah, a big guy who didn't really rely on athleticism much. Wasn't a particularly athletic guy. Didn't show up on defense at all. Didn't get to the rim super well. Got there well enough. But, you know, created a lot more out of guile and, and uh, his, I don't know, just ability to pull up, kind of like a, a Chris Middleton. Yes, yeah, and his strength, too, like you said. It, he used it, He still does, effectively, I'd say. Mind you, totally different game in terms of the way balls played in the big three. But it's funny kind of seeing these guys that you've seen all their career kind of still go their pet moves in these type of environments. So, yeah, I definitely like that pick. And, again, I mean, look at the turmoil that Chicago went through. They went through three coaches alone in that 2001-2002 season following this, between, you know, starting off uh, through 25 games with Tim Floyd, 4-21. and 21. Then, you know, interim coach Bill Barry, 0-2, and, and then Bill Cartwright guided, righted the ship and guided them to a 17-38 finish. So, like, you know, you were you were kind of rough there. Um, and the roster was such a mismatch. Like, I'm, yeah. I, I don't know. I looked it up, and mind you, I didn't really get a whole lot in terms of, like, the construction. I didn't do even that much of a deep dive on that myself. But, it amazes me how you have a team that has, okay, we're going to come with Eddie, Eddie Curry, you know, our rookie um, alongside uh, our big men who like Charles Oakley was still getting minutes. He was like in year 16, but wasn't like the vet on the way out. He was pretty much playing until he retired pretty steady. And then you also have this young guy who you're going to end up undervaluing anyway. um in Brad, in Brad Miller, um, who I, <sighs> this story. So anyway, let's keep going. I just, that, that roster was such a mess to me. And I, I, I see teams like that now, but it's like, even back then, Matter what pieces on that roster, like yeah, ay ay. Okay, but back to you, Cody. Yeah, some some good pieces where you're like, I would have liked to see you on a better team. Yes, and, you know, some of them did end up on better teams. Meta World Peace obviously was mm-hmm. uh, really had a successful career after that, um, but not at that point. That was a, that was a rough bull stretch. Yeah, this is not cool. <laughs> oh, up next is this the the. This would oh. be the Golden State Warriors. Ah, the Warriors. All right, so Number they five. had old Mookie Blaylock at this point. They had a young Larry <laughs> Hughes. Uh, Antoine Jameson was kind of their centerpiece for offense who, man, I don't know. Jameson is, uh, I don't want to come at Antoine Jameson or anything. I liked him. You know, yeah, I like solid, right? takes. Yeah. He, he, he scored a lot of points in his career. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a lot to get to the NBA and it takes a lot to score a lot of points and he did both of them. So good for him. Um, I think in today's league, it would be tough for him to really play the four spot. He would kind of be a five, but he would be really mismatched at the five because he wasn't a strong defender or or rebounder so i want someone that's going to be able to like help him out there at that four or five position defensively 
And I think the best player that could pull it off is Gerald Wallace. Wow. And okay. Yeah, there's a chance I'm taking him earlier than you might have expected. I was shocked. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think especially in today's league, I really like the fit with Gerald Wallace. I mean, one of the guys, I don't know if he averaged two blocks and two steals in a season, but if he didn't, he was really, really close. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. Let me check. Yeah. He could, he could stretch a little bit, a really strong rebounder for being like 6'8", 6'9", a really strong defensive player. And so if you want to keep Jamison, if you're not going to try and trade him, I think he's probably the best pairing that you have for him. Um, so I don't know. By not just blowing up the team, I think Gerald Wallace is the best fit at this point. Uh, yeah, Gerald Wallace. I mean, that's lettuce he brings, you know, for sure. Like you said, you space the floor a little bit there. Uh, definitely didn't mind taking them. I, I was shocked only because, like, as much of a terrorist he was, I think that style. I mean, you have a thing like crash, you know, eventually there's going to be the burn, right? Okay, that mm-hmm. was a bad joke. But but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> I think, like, that was that's, awesome. thank you, Cody. <laughs> But, like, his, his style of play, I mean, he had 10 great years, right? Or he had a couple of years, I don't want to say 10, exaggerate. He had, I'd say, five great years, you know, between 2002 and, like, getting up there, he was, like, trying to find his way. Fine. 2005, 2010, I think, 2010, he peaked with, like, an all-star appearance and, you know, Bobcats in the playoffs and all of that. And then he um, ended up going to Portland, and then it was Brooklyn. And at that point, you could kind of see that athleticism starting to decline. Um, and then you were kind of forced to rely on, like, an outside shot that, while he could do, it wasn't his thing. You know what I mean? It was definitely, like, I, I was impressed by the fact you were able to get such impressive statistics by like just working hard. You know, I never looked at him with, Ooh, Gerald Wallace in the bag. No. no, but like for someone who's like a, a, a main guy for a series of Bobcats teams, you know, that had like, you know, uh, checked out Boris Dial. Um, you know, you had a guy like your DJ Augustine young, you had Steven Jackson, um, think of Jay rich for a year. Like, he was the hub and it was crazy because again it was just he reminds me the type of player i mean julius reynolds a lot more skilled but like that in a he's, way he's almost like the the defensive version of julius randall it there you seems go. like yeah where it's like yeah. if you could combine them into one player they oh would my be gosh like all nba mvp type player but yes yeah i agree with that i like gerald wallace isn't the type of guy that you want to build uh, a team with but mm. if you if he can run routes on the fast break or crash the boards his, his <laughs> there it is. roaming the paint to, to play defense yeah. he's great for that uh but you know i never know where to take players like that where it's like yeah. i would prefer you to be like more of a third option or a fourth option on offense mm-hmm. but uh you know i just i have a thing for guys who are six eight six nine and play really good defense especially when they can offer a little bit on offense so i'm, I'm stretching a little bit earlier against my uh better judgment better judgment speaking I'm, listen i'm about to do the exact same thing going against my own better judgment okay. i tend to target guys who you know like to score the ball i'm i'm very much on the exciting nba train of oh yeah he filled it up my guy is sitting there uh i'm obviously slotting in number six the memphis grizzlies are number six um i'm going to take the guy that they actually took uh a guy a model archetype after your own heart there like a six seven six eight player defensive-minded who provide a little bit of utility on the offensive end, I'm taking a Shane Battier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think he's one of those guys that his advanced stats are just amazing. Um, he took an analytically sound shots. Um, I think, well, I had a little thing from Leach Report, but starting in 2006, 2007, he never took less than 50% of his shots from deep. Like, the guy knew what his role was. Like, he was a 3 and D guy, and, and, and boom, he had like at least a block and a steal average per season in three different years. So, I mean, it's him and Gerald Wallace who really wants to do that in even one year in that draft. So if you're not getting someone like Gerald Wallace, the next best guy for me is Shane, who doesn't come with the athleticism 
or I would say offensive versatility as someone like Wallace did. And even though like Wallace wasn't great there, but I think he's someone who knew his role, played great defense, played a lot, was remarkably healthy, remarkably durable and knocked down threes. And you know what? I think that the success that Memphis had a lot of that, you know, in those mid 2000s to like, you know, before he moved on, were kind of hinged on the way that that identity was. And he was a good fit. Then he's still a good fit. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Honestly, I probably made a mistake not taking him over Jared Wallace, mm. but I'm I'm just enamored with the the counting stats and the highlights more with Wallace. But you're absolutely right. Uh, who is it? It was uh, Michael Lewis, I think, wrote a New York Times article called "The No Stats All Star" in like 2009. Oh wow! And it was all about Shane Battier and how much Daryl Morey loved him, and Daryl Morey actually called him <laughs> Lego, I guess, at the time because he just fit into every team construct so well. Yes, that's um, funny. It, it's like one of my favorite. Uh, NBA articles I've ever read. So the no stats all-star, go check it out. It's from like 2009. Uh, but yeah, Batty, it was like all over um, analytics, like when they were starting to just get in vogue, like he really had it memorized. Like when I'm guarding this guy, my point isn't I'm not trying to steal and block everything, but I'm going to force you into the absolute worst position for you. And I remember a fun anecdote in that story is he was talking about uh, guys like Kobe. It's like, oh, you can kind of force him to, I don't remember exactly. It might've been to the right and Allen Iverson really likes going left a lot more, but he's less efficient. But the one guy, the one guy who had no inefficiencies, no matter which direction he went, no matter what movie busted out. Do you know who that was? Back in the two. It's like 2009 ish. 2009. I want to say Tracy McGrady. Oh, that's a really good pick, but no, thank you. Oh, yeah. The answer is Manu Ginobili. Yeah, Manny Ginobili was brought up as a player that was like, he has no weaknesses. Like, there's no better way to guard him because he's just going to figure it out. You know what's funny? And you say that, and, like, I I don't, yeah. I don't I don't see it. You're right. Like, when have you seen Manu Ginobili flummoxed on the court? Like, Never. it doesn't, I mean, he played until he was, like, 40. <laughs> like, even then, like, he, no, better athletic players, this and that. He was still going to find his way. That is, I, that is a fun ending. Thank you for that. That is cool. Because yeah. that's true. I paused for a second. I'm like, you know what? Darn shooting, that's right. Like, okay, wow. Well, there you go. So yeah, I, we're we're yeah, loving so, on the the Spurs guards today. Yeah, I was gonna say this is this is their draft. This is their time. Um, so we're at number six, seven now with the New Jersey Nets, and you are on the clock, Cody. Yeah. Um, got some fun guys up here. Something I did not plan for, and this is just bad planning on my part, is yeah. I have it all written up mm. in the draft order I was gonna do. And while we're basically on the same pace, like there's a couple guys that are switching around. So I'm like, oh no, I didn't account for not getting the pick I expected. I so feel that. Yeah. I'm going to. Because they actually drafted Richard Jefferson, right? Um, Yeah, pretty sure. Sh- Let me see. Just to fact check myself Richard here. Jefferson. Yeah. Um, the, no, the Nets actually drafted Eddie Griffin. They drafted Eddie Griffin. When did they draft Richard Jefferson? What am I, I feel like he came over. Now nah, I got double check real quick yeah. here live yeah let me look at this now because You're this live everybody you are and this is this is amazing did they pick right up like 13 they're like later i in feel the like yeah so no houston did um, houston did and then obviously there was a trade that happened which i see if i can test my resources here and see how quick yeah so he was traded to the to the nets for let's check this out Richard Jefferson, Stephon great player. Marbury? Was he part of that trade? Was you know, he might have been. Trade? Let me see. Yeah. Um, sheesh. Looking now, and it's, uh, it immediately goes, oh, he played with the Nets. I'm trying to find his research here. Or was uh, a kid trade? I think Marbury might have been part of the kid trade. Marbury might, yeah. That was, um, what, 2002, 2003, I think? 
Yeah. Yeah. So he was drafted. Okay, here it is. He was drafted 13th and he was traded by the Rockets with Brandon Armstrong and get this, mm. Jason Collins for oh. Eddie Griffin. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a big time trade. Well, you know what? We've been talking <laughs> about him enough here. I'm just going to take Richard Jefferson. I'm going to get into is. the Nets early. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, I liked Richard Jefferson. He was, uh, he probably deserved to be an all-star. I think that's kind of a weird fun fact. He was never an all-star and he was like mm -hmm. a pretty consistent 20 point scorer on solid efficiency. Uh, yeah. He was a solid enough defender, a big guy, like a six, seven, six, eight built dude with solid athleticism. Um, yeah. I don't know. He, I think he he peaked at a time when that forward spot was just really stacked in the league. So he was going yeah. against guys like you know Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, uh, young LeBron James, even Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett. It, it didn't matter if you were going to go guard or forward. It's like unless you're one of those peak guys, like maybe he should have got it in like over Sharif Abdul Rahim in like oh three. But even then, Richard Jefferson wasn't like Richard Jefferson. Richard Jefferson then. Yeah. So I don't know. I think. Richard Jefferson is a very solid, never got an all-star forward that couldn't like carry your team, but was mm -hmm. a solid scoring option. Oh yeah, I agree. I'm looking, I was looking at the numbers. I'm like, which you'd be the best. I think that 2007 on the 18, because mm -hmm. he had 22 points, uh, four rebounds, three assists, played all 82 games, played just under 40 minutes, uh, shot 48% from two and 36% from three. Like, and, and again, and, and if all that doesn't sway your mind, this is the Eastern Conference. Like for the Nets, like, I mean, if you look at all of that, like at least one, I definitely agree with you, but the guy was a solid score throughout. And yeah, you said it, there definitely should have been a, a spot for him for sure. All right. So Jefferson is off. And now a guy I was, I was kind of looking at Jefferson, but I'm going to now take, we are with the Pistons. No. Yeah. It was, no, you were the Nets at seven. I'm the Cavs at eight. Yep. Um, They took the Sognia. I can always mess up that name. Jacques. Yeah, the song. Yeah, I said it right. I maybe said it right. We'll I see. think so. That's true. The song job. Yeah, it, it's oh man, I haven't heard it in a minute. I feel like I heard it randomly in a podcast drive a couple weeks ago because he's on a coaching staff or something, and I remember going, "Oh yeah, I remember him, big man for the Mavs." And yeah, all right, I'm going to take with the eight pick for the Cleveland Cavs. Just my guy. It has to happen. Is Jason Richardson? Mm. Okay. Uh, Jay Rich, uh, second to um, Joe Johnson, three pointers made. Uh, just of anyone in the draft class, uh, you're going to get athletic wingman, decent enough defense, someone who, you know, could shoot three ball really well, but became one of the better three-point shooters in the league. Um, I think he was the top three-point shooter. Well, I don't think. He made the most three-point shots in the league in his first year with Charlotte in 2007. Um, 243 at the time. That was the fourth highest single season total in history. So that tells you where the league was and where it's gone. But this guy was someone who like, you could almost squint your eyes and see as like a second go-to guy. You know what I mean? I don't think he was ever the guy who looked as like your best player, but like there was some peak years, I'd say between 2007 and 2009, that you're like, okay, like you kind of see him fitting the NBA superstar role and okay, six, 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 seven, he could dunk really well. You know, he could shoot the ball. Let's not look at, you know, some inability to kind of dribble in terms of that. He wasn't a guy who put the ball on the floor that much. Um, defensively, again, he was just okay. Um, but he played, what, 13 years? I mean, solid guy. So that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I got uh, Jason Richardson. Yeah, he's probably the best scorer remaining on the board here. So I definitely 
man, you, you, you screwed up my order here. I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. <laughs> okay. This is the next one where you were like a one pick ahead. So I had Richardson going, uh, I'm going in the next pick, but yeah, he was, you know, career. I mean, solid 40% shooter. Like I said earlier, I think he'd be shooting close to 10 three pointers a game now. And you're right. I, I would prefer to him be like a third option off on offense, just because he's not going to really attack off the bounce as ferociously as some of these other guys. He wasn't yeah. going to be a lead ball handler, create mm-hmm. that much for other players. Um, it's probably not worth much, but on the, if I were to make like a top 10 dunk contest dunkers of all time, Which either you on it or really, really close to it. Um, some of those dunk contests he was in, he was like in three straight or something like that in the 2000s. And he threw down, I don't, they're lost to history a little bit. Cause you come wow. across some of them. Like there was a, there's one where he needed like a 50 to win. He starts in the corner and he throws himself a self bounce and he comes and he does an under the leg reverse. And it, it was just beautiful. It's, it's lost to history. So Another thing to YouTube, Jason Richardson under the leg, reverse 50 or something like that. Wow. He also did like a, he had to like recreate Dominique's famous windmill dunk in the contest. And he, he nailed it. He had the extension of a windmill. And wow. Yeah. Jay Rich. The guy could dunker. get up. The guy he could get up. And, and unlike, like there's a, a you count your, your hands, the amount of like quote unquote bouncers who like were known for athleticism, but also were like very solid shooters as well. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. That was that was kind of rare because you had guys like uh, Desmond Mason at the time who could really sky and didn't really have anything else he could do. No. Sure could dunk. Nope. I used to love him. Oh, now I'm going to get my own anecdote. Um, He yeah. played like really late up to like, well, he didn't play really late. I think his career ended like somewhere in 2009. But he was like on roster, specifically 2K until like 2011. And so oh. they, yeah, 2K just, they were weird because they kept him up there, 34, 35. And his dunk rating was super high. It was still like very high for him. Like after he retired. After he retired, or like because you know you have those players that are kind of in that like limb, like they're not retired, but they kind of they're out the league for two years or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like yep. yeah, that, that's kind of where he was. Because I mean, I remember like specifically 2011 in NBA 2K11, and he I, he was not playing then. But like I remember always picking him up because I knew in transition this guy is a menace and he could dribble a little bit. But I would always get mixed up in the heat of play sometimes. And 2K logic would, the guy was not a three-point shooter. Even in 2K, he knew he wasn't a three-point shooter. But they would slot him in the deep corner. And so I would be playing, you know, in the heat of the moment, breaking my guy off the dribble, penetrate to the lane, dish off to the corner. And I'm already shooting before I go, dang it, that's Desmond Mason. And like, I know it's going to miss. And it wasn't even close. And this happened a lot, man. Like, I lost an NBA Finals game because no. of that yes oh, i did no. i don't even know why he was on the floor at the time but i know I, I knew i had him on the floor because he was one of my faster guys in transition even at oh. 35 but anyway just to, just to go back to that yeah just 2k11 y'all if y'all want to check that out and prepare to cry some tears uh as 2k logic kind of screws over what you know the player does just do that 2k <laughs> logic 2 is also like if you're a high dunk rating you're just automatically a great finisher like over anyone that can't dunk oh, oh yeah he did some dunks on people great posters you know and they had this little cheese where if you would dribble if you're going down the court and you toggle the left the left um the left trigger back and forth as you're moving you're going to get a foul call oh wait and how, I, how far back like 2011 like 2k11 uh yeah two, at least 2k12 i think it might have been far back 2k11 Okay. But definitely 2K12 is when I first started using it. And then I started not using it. And I felt even worse because then I didn't use it because I knew I could always go to it. But then if times were tight, I did use it because I needed the free throw line. And I'm like, Ugh. but yes, but it had to be 2K11 because I did it with Mason. And he couldn't shoot free throws either. He had a hitch in a shot. That's another oh, thing. No, he had like a weird free throw thing. So I did it with him a couple times and then I probably learned my lesson. But that's what it was. Like his entire game was really funky in terms of like being, he was six foot five and could like dunk with the best but that was it 
and dribble yeah. okay. And like early, if you watch some early Seattle Supersonics games, he at least would take a 10 foot, you know, 12 foot jump shot. Yeah. And as he kind of moved up in his career, he just said, Oh, I know my strengths. And that's, that's not that. And then we finally didn't really have any, I'll do respect to Desmond. Okay. Do, do you think this is the longest Desmond Mason segment ever in a podcast? <laughs> I, I think there's a chance it's the longest segment ever. I do. So. We took we took a four minute block to talk. I do think so. Yes. Yeah, well, excuse us. me, Jason Richardson. Let's talk about Desmond Mason. <laughs> See, I love this. <laughs> there it is, though. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to shout out to Mason. Uh, you got your six minutes here with us on Ramble Ramble. All right, uh, we are now with the Detroit Pistons. Um, this is this is my pick. No, it's your pick. It's my pick. And your pick. you. Uh, Mm. Yeah, I, I guess this is the first time I'm going to break my my big board okay. because the, the player I wanted to draft where you picked Richardson is a big man, and I don't really want to slot him next to because it's the Pistons pick, right? It's the yeah, Pistons. this is the Pistons. And, yeah, they, they took have, Rodney White in that. Yep. They have yeah. Clifford Robinson and Ben Wallace at the time. Wow, who, uh, very strong defensive big men, and I want to pick a big man, and that's this guy's just not going to crack the rotation with those two, so. Oh, I'm going to kind of panic pick here. Okay. I don't love this. I really don't love this. Oh, man. But maybe right now the best available, maybe the best available point guard guard, just because they need as much as they can. I'm going to go Jamal Tinsley right now. Okay. A, a Pacers fan. Wow. Yeah. Uh, really not like, I'm going to regret this pick. That's okay. You know what? Get at me. Jamal Tinsley, ninth pick. <laughs> he, he was a good passer. He was a good dribbler. Maybe he could play some defense, but scoring just really wasn't his thing. So he's not really going to help them out in that department. But they just need more people that can handle the ball out there and do some stuff on offense. Um, oh, I'm just heartbroken. I'm sorry, Jamal Tinsley. I don't want me to be heartbroken because I was going to send you to a better team later. But uh, yeah, I'm going it, Tinsley. It happened the way it had to happen. I, I, I'm with you. I, I'm also a little sad in there, but no, I'm fine. That's a solid pick. I think that he had a solid pro career. I remember him for those like mid 2000 Pacers specifically yep. and then also he had like a little well i remember it as like a renaissance with the jazz like 2010 11 or was that yeah i think that was him i want no maybe it was mo williams so that was a little later i'm now i'm gonna fact check myself oh, maybe that actually sounds familiar now that you say that. yeah i do remember him i'm pretty sure i remember him with the jazz i'm just checking my yeah he did yeah 2011 okay. 12 and Good 13 memory. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it wasn't like his numbers don't pop up the page, but I do remember him like being kind of change the pace, kind of veteran guard for them yeah. um, during those times. But okay. Going back to my pick, we are number 10. We are the Boston Celtics. Um, they took Joe Johnson back then. Uh, I remember them for the shimmy, you know, you had, uh, you had Anton Walker, you had Paul Pierce, uh, this team bombed threes. Like that was kind of their identity uh, yeah. during that time. And so I'm going to, Find a guy, Jim O'Brien actually totally, I mean, th that team finished 49 and 33 with just spacing the floor and bombing. Not with a whole lot of efficiency there. I mean, they were definitely good for that time. I think they made, they shot 35% from three. They made 699 of them. Of them. And their leading guy, um, Antoine Walker, made 222. He took 645 of them. Uh, oh <laughs> you get Paul, God. yes, 645, which like is good for a 34% clip, which like, okay. But then like the much more efficient Paul Pierce shot 40% from three that year. He took 520 and made 210. So like 12 less difference. And also like a two, uh, 125 difference in attempts. Like, okay. Credits, I'm, I'm going to give good more. Him. There you go. Good exactly. I'm going to not take away from Antoine Walker, which like, dude, I love, take him. Like you got to take him. I'm just going to give more credit to Paul Pierce for the efficiency but I'm going, I'm going to add somebody to that list you look at the bigs that they kind of had there um 
and you're looking like Tony Batie. Um, you kind of had Rodney Rogers who could space out a little bit. Um, but I'm going to add another big one that I was a big fan of, uh, just because he wasn't going to give you much else but rebounding and shooting the long ball. That was his game. You knew what it was, and you liked it or you didn't. And I ended up liking it. And that was Troy Murphy. Oh, wow. Who okay. ended up playing in Boston, actually, in 2012. Um, I was just about to say that. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. But, um, yeah, 6'11", um, what, in 2009, he shot 45% from three on just under five a game. Like, that, 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 that's it. I think the one thing is, like, again, defensively, like, that wasn't happening, but like the, the guy had a double double for like five different years. So like, at least you knew on the offense, what you're getting. And I think he fits that then this team perfectly. Cause they were kind of small. I think it was another secret success of the Celtics back then. It's like, they played bigs, but they were like a little smaller as well. You bring in a guy who like doesn't take away size wise, but gives you the same identity in terms of offense and space in the floor. And I think you're good. Yeah. I like that. He's yeah, definitely not like a strong rebounder, a strong defensive player. Obviously you're going to get to that point when you get to the ninth, 10th pick in the draft, but uh, especially with Pierce, I don't remember Walker. I'm trying to look it up right now, but uh, they might've been able to rebound by committee more. If Murphy was in, yeah, Walker could rebound the ball a little bit. Mm. So it's not like they're really losing a ton by not mm. having like a strong defensive presence there. They would definitely have to sacrifice defense at that point to just go all out with the offense. Um, but I like that next to those three, it's a lot of shooting for the early two thousands. There you go. Yeah. And I love myself a juiced up offensive lineup. Um, this Celtics team, in my mind as good as they weren't, weren't winning the championship. So I don't feel like I'm holding them back, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like it. And the Celtics actually had a second pick in a row here, right? Um, yes. If I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. They had back-to-back picks with the 10th and 11th. Yeah, they did because they end up, um, I forgot who they took at 11. Let me check on that. Um, Kedrick Brown. Oh, the great one. They, Johnson oh, and Brown. Okay. Yep. Um, so for this one, this is good. I'm, I'm going to start getting my, the guy I want to pick a couple picks back here. Um, okay. I'm going to pick like the opposite kind of big man for the Celtics. And I'm going to throw Tyson Chandler into them. Oh, okay. And, I like it. You know, you could actually play Chandler and Murphy together. It'd be a really big lineup. If you had like, I don't know if you could play Murphy Walker, uh, Pierce and Chandler together, but like mm-hmm. you could at least play three of them together and it would work. But either way, I like the idea of having like positional, or I guess lineup flexibility in that when you go to the bench, you can play a different kind of style. So with Troy Murphy out there, you could be like, we're going to stretch the floor a lot more. We're going to play a lot more offensive minded, uh, both Tyson Chandler. I mean, really excellent rim protector, one defensive player of the year in like 2000. Was it his Maverick season? Might've been his Maverick. Uh, yeah. No, or his no, season. I, no, Maverick. I think it was his Maverick season. I mean, okay. look just to make sure now, but I'm pretty sure that it was his Mavericks here. Yeah, scientists get at me. Mavericks or, <laughs> or Knicks. But I think it was the Mavericks. But yeah, really strong defensive player. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, the Knicks. It was the Knicks. Knicks. I forgot. Okay. You're right. The Knicks, 2012. Okay, so it was the year after he won the championship. Yes, yes. Okay. Darn it. I could have imagined it in, in, in the Dallas Blue, but three different since there. I don't know. I know. <laughs> he, he was still very good. He was like a you know, like a, like a better DeAndre Jordan, like what we wanted DeAndre Jordan to be like a more like better positionally sound defensive player, mm-hmm. excellent at catching lobs and really didn't bring anything else to the table. Wasn't going to create for anyone. Wasn't going to create his own shot, but man, did he know his role out there? So especially yeah. when you have guys like Walker and Pierce who are happy to take every other shot, Tyson Chandler slot in with that just fine. Yeah, that's perfect. You're right. Someone who won't even compete for that and, and still be just fine. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so now we are at, we got what, two more teams left? Three. Three, three, 12, 13. Corbin counting, yes. All right, <laughs> so with Seattle, hmm, Seattle is interesting because I feel like looking at the roster 
for the Supersonics back then. Also, shout out to the fact that, man, I miss that team. I mean, I, I joined the club, but like Seattle, man. Seattle yeah, Supersonics. I know. Uh, the home, I know. Of, uh, home of Desmond Mason. No, like, look, look I, I am not kidding. In my notes, the last <laughs> sentence for this section is also Desmond Mason shout out. So I, this is the Desmond Mason pod, and I am so here for it. I love it. In fact, I'm going to have to make sure a picture I'm going to use for this pod is Desmond Mason. Oh, I yeah, love absolutely, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you you had for the bigs, it wasn't really great. I mean, you had Vin Baker, but like this wasn't like prime Vin Baker. Um you had uh, Jerome James just before he, you know, a couple of years before he went off and got that big contract from New York. Um, we had that great playoff series against the Kings. Uh, you had uh, who they ended up drafting, which was Vladimir Rodmanovich, ended up good, being a good, pretty good, like, floor spacer. Um, but the bigs weren't great. That's the kind of theme I'm going with. You had Antonio Harvey, who kind of stuck around the league just from working hard. I mean, he was like, a, I don't think he was undrafted, but, like, um, he was, like, basically almost out of the league kind of hanging on with the Lakers in the mid nineties when they were like kind of rough um, and just kind of sticking around. So I'm trying to look for an upgrade there. Looking at the bigs out, make a good fit around my perimeter players because you still have Gary Payton at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. You have Richard Lewis, uh, Brent Berry was still, you know, lighting it up. You had Earl Watson and Shaman Williams. Both those guys were getting time as well. Um, so I am going to take, uh, you know what? No, it's not. It's not super great, but defensively, I can talk myself into it. I'm taking Samuel Dallander. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I did a surprising pick. I kind of panicked there because my list, there's a guy I want there, but like, and I'm I'm, I'm surprised he's fallen as far as he has, but I'm not because at each point in the last like three teams, I'm like, nope, doesn't work here. Nope, doesn't work here. And I think that, We'll talk, I'll bring him up later. We'll bring him up. I think that the guy I was going to pick would work here, but not like on his own. I think you'd yeah. have to have other people there. And I don't see the personality South Supersonics to supplement that. Whereas someone like Samuel D'Alembert, I think simple but effective, do his job, you know, be big. Uh, he played 13 seasons. He blocked the most shots of anyone in that draft other than Gasol. Um, I mean, that's doing what I want. You know, it's not a flashy pick, uh, but I think it's an effective one. So I'm going to take Samuel D'Alembert. So I have a story about Dale and Bear that I'm not sure is true, but I'm like very sure I heard this once. And I, I thought I remember that during, I don't know if it was a season or a stretch over a couple seasons that no one won more jump balls than Samuel Dale and Bear. Whoa. Um, I, I have nothing to back that up. Once again, scientists get at us if, if you have that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's all I have for Dale and Bear content. I, I like it. I mean, another 2K shout out. He'd be the first person I traded when I took over the Mavs um, in my NBA uh GM rebuild so that I could build around Monte Ellis. So, oh, oh. I was wondering if Monte <laughs> Ellis was going to come up today. You knew uh, he had to, man. He had to. We bring up Desmond Mason. Of course, I did. You know, I was actually going to bring up. Um, I was going to bring up um, Ellis early when you were talking about the the speed of Tony Parker. Oh, and I was yeah. going to be like, ooh, like, mm. but honestly, I, I the joke wouldn't have been there because I think that Ellis was pretty fast during that time. Although yeah. I also don't think that he was as fast as Parker in the shiftiness that he added in addition to speed. That's exactly it. I think Parker was quicker, maybe like in a straight line sprint. Ellis, yes. It would have been close. Parker was fast, but Ellis was also fast. very fast. Yeah, but like you said, in terms of the shooting around the basket, you know, Ellis was, was kind of more out there with you, where it's like Parker with the spin and everything was... So I had a moment I was going to bring it up, and I didn't. But yeah, he had a shout out here, too. <laughs> All right, so we... We are... I'm, what? You're on the next to last here. You are the Houston Rockets. I'm going to force your hand. 
I'm not oh. going to pick the guy that we've been secretly talking about. Oh, no. So I'm going to see if he drops <laughs> out of the lottery, if you're going to be the one to drop him out of the lottery. Okay. But here, uh, for 13, they had Steve Francis, uh, Coutinho Mobley at this point. Um, I don't know. From this year, to from like 01 to 02, their offense dropped a lot for some reason. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure why because they kept their same top two scores in them. But I like the idea of spacing out the floor for people like that. I, You know, I didn't, I didn't love Steve Francis necessarily he was fun he was dynamic he was a great dunker his 2000 dunk contest performance is tremendous so i i want to give them as much space to operate as possible in the paint so i'm gonna go with actually a fairly underrated defender good big man one of the early stretch big men of the early 2000s that's memetto kerr oh you did push it i was hoping to seal it with him yes oh no yes. I, I love me some okur part of those jazz teams that really opens up some space with darren williams slicing and dicing and kicking out and um yeah i think a very underappreciated player i think he kind of got the um you know the international soft label and it, it wasn't the case he was a solid enough defender he wasn't a world beater but he could hold his own and he wasn't like great down low scoring but he could really stretch the floor with the best of them that's wow that's a yeah that's a solid pick. I, shout out to him because, like you said, like the skill set ahead of his time. Um, I, I guess he kind of joins in terms of volume. You know what I mean? You had a lot of, like, I guess, like you had Sam Perkins and, like, um, yeah. Arvita Sabonis and guys like that who were big who could shoot the three. But, like, from the, the amount of times, so he was almost like a Troy Murphy, except, like, he was an actual big. Where I think Troy Murphy was like more of a five. A four, he was a big, but more of a four than, like, O'Curry's size, you know? Exactly. I think O'Curry averaged close to 10 rebounds a game. So not yeah. that that's like a great statistic, but that's like twice as many as Troy Murphy would. Um, that's true. That's not true. putting down Troy Murphy, but I love me some O'Curry. Hey, hey, there it is. There it is. All right. So, so we, are, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it with the 14th pick? I'm going to do it with the 14th pick because okay. it's the Golden State Warriors. And at this point, it's a lot of I'm going to do I'm going to do it with I'm gonna make this election because I should have made. I should have taken who I was going to take for Golden State when I had their pick um, in terms of just scoring. And I think that's what I'm going to get here now with a big who doesn't – is Zach Randolph. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Listen, Zach Randolph, solid. Five different years, averaging 20 and 10. Uh, little fun fact here. Not my own fun fact, but it's there. Uh, of That's all the 20, 2001 draft. Like, there was five seasons from that draft class that had 20 points and 10 rebounds. Randolph accounts for all of those. Oh my so, God. yeah, oh, so, wow. so there you, you go. Blew my mind, that's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. <laughs> Research I was reading, I was like, wow. So, wow. all of that is him. Um, you have someone who, you know, wasn't very athletic, although I think he was a little bit quicker than some expected when he was younger, uh, particularly in Portland and then later on with the Clippers, maybe. Um, but he was someone that offensively was skilled, even as he got bigger and just started like battering guys. You know, he was able to dump the ball down to the post and, and let him get buckets there. Um, he was a two time all star. He was the most improved player, um, all NBA at one point. And although he wasn't defensively like uh, a guy that you look to, like like a Samuel Dallenberg or someone like that, he was someone who fit in with those grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies and didn't yeah. really take a whole lot away um, until he really just started aging out like entirely. Like by the time, you know, 2016, 2017 came, like the NBA kind of switched. You know, you don't want Zach Randolph on, on Steph Curry and stuff like that in terms of the way that. Um, personnel were being used and even then he tried to adjust a little bit and lead into a three ball a little bit more he had a weird Sacramento Kings year because Sacramento Kings are weird and signed him <laughs> to play um, where he gave the infamous line that where I'm from bullies get bullied just for that I'm taking him oh, um, that he that. said to Demarcus Cousins but like again you're not building a franchise around this guy but then again we talked that was kind of the nature of the draft class there was no one guy you're kind of using there but like as far as like a 
very productive guy that you can like add to this core of you know the the, the fun backcourt we have here and the we believe warriors that would inevitably kind of spawn from this because in my actually in my reality this is what would come from this team i think is a good fit yeah, I liked it a lot. Now, I have nothing against Zach Randolph. I kind of feel bad that he dropped so far. Me because too. He really is a productive player, and I think if you played like if you tried a small ball lineup against that, I think he could punish that pretty well offensively. He mm-hmm. was a monster rebounder. He was, like, of the last 20 years, one of the best players at using his lack of athleticism to his advantage. Like, yes. he didn't have a lot of, of burst at all, vertical or, or otherwise, and mm. just had a really strong game and was built like an ox and, you know, bullied everyone besides, like, Ben Wallace at the time and... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm a big fan of Zach Randolph. And like you said, those grit and grind Grizzlies had really good defenses. So it's not like he was like that much of a negative on defense. He just mm-hmm. he would probably get toasted if he went out and had to guard Steph Curry. But, you know, most people would be most people exactly. get toasted once in a while. So, like, it's not the end of the world. Um, yeah, maybe maybe I overthought it. But I'm glad I'm glad Zach Randolph got picked. He I, I am, too. You know, and, and again, no disrespect to him. It was just like each pick we had there was a guy that fit a little more perfect than Zach, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, this was Cody. This, this has been the lottery of the 2001 NBA draft. Like this has been a, a fun time. Yeah. This has been a blast. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me on. I would, uh, it, it's kind of sad, actually not sad. I'm glad the NBA season is starting, but I love doing a lot of the like weird off season stuff where it's like, Oh, we're going to randomly draft a season. That's, that's always so much fun to me, but I also like the, actual nba season oh yeah for sure and i i mean if there was one thing i regret the season was so the offseason was so truncated this year and last year that we didn't really get a lot of time to do that but that's all i'm like into it's like the historical kind of look backs and now i could do um me uh gary Bougain, i'm not sure if you're familiar with him but um yep, on Duncan yep. Nasty, we look at whole seasons or whole series and like review those and it's a lot of fun to like put yourself in that time be immersed in like first off the broadcasting teams of like the day you know the way they really played up in the kind of cinematic kind of angle that's not what it is now that's overinflated in my opinion but like wow you really feel the drama behind the games but anyway just going back in time and seeing that a lot of fun so i was glad to have you on uh this is crazy for me because for someone who like is friends with everyone from premium hoops you are the first member i've had i've done crossovers with mark but i don't think i've had anyone on here so this is the first of what i'm hoping to be a stampede of just premium hoop guys coming on so thank you for I know I was just thinking that take I have Mark um well this but this comes out tonight but I'm gonna have Mark on um this weekend so we're gonna do one and then I have planned I'm the king of planning things and then this is the following through and this offseason has been like the one time I've been like you know what we are doing everything yep but now I'm like seeing why it doesn't usually happen <laughs> so so on the record on the record I beat Mark Schindler on on the record you did <laughs> shout out Mark Which, Schindler shout out to Mark man because. Lewis, uh, as hard as I think I do pods, Mark is doing uh, You sleep, he's recording somewhere. Yeah. Okay? It's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> and when I he isn't think... recording, he's writing a po- writing article. That's exactly it. And if you listen to this pod, I'm sure you're screaming about the Jamal Tinsley part because I'm sure, I'm sure Mark Schindler is a Jamal Tinsley truther. I just know it. Oh, he has to be. Listen, he has to be. I'm trying to figure out right now how I'm going to work my Monte Ellis into a divisional preview, but I will find a way. Oh, you'll find a way. I'll find a way. Cody, this has been a blast, man. Uh, listen, tell the folks again where they can find your work. And, and please, plug, plug, plug away, especially as someone who, like, is really deep in bringing out these historical players back to life. And I mean historical, just like in the past, you know, 15, 20 years. Like, you've written just some tremendous articles, obviously, since the scalability. Like, like just blast that. Blast that. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. So, yeah, you can find me. I'm... 
I'm on Twitter. I'm a little bit quieter now, probably until until the season starts. But it's at Cody Hodek, uh, H O U D E K is my last name. Um, I wrote a few historical lookbacks this last summer. Uh, I finished Gary Payton. I think is the most recent one. I did a Sean Marion one. I think earlier in the year I also have Vince Carter. I did a Ben Wallace one last year. I think I'm missing one in there somewhere. But uh, there's these long retrospective pieces where I do exactly what you said and just try and immerse myself in that time frame to see how those players would uh, actually contribute during those times. I'm also uh, one of the uh, co-hosts of sense and scalability once again we're kind of taking a little bit of time off before the season starts and trying to figure out our bearings there so uh once we get that fired up go back and listen to some of our episodes i think they're they're timely in the fact that you could always listen to them because we're not always like oh here's the news of the day it's like these bigger philosophical conversations that we want to have um yeah i think i think it's about it for all i want to plug also, oh. shout out Desmond Mason. Go look up some Desmond Mason highlights. There it is. Do it. I, I should link one in the pod. I may have common sense talk me out of that. But please do check out Cody Hodick again on Twitter at Cody Hodick. You can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball Tweets online hoop-ball.com. It's been another great show, y'all. A lot of stuff still coming. We're into the season almost, y'all. So uh, just stay tuned and let's get ready to ride the wave for Cody, for myself. We are frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I'll talk to y'all real soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.